Bedlam is a scene of madness, chaos, or great confusion. And we're going to pair our mayhem with a bottle of wine. This, this is, is Bottle of Bedlam. Hello, Angelica. Hello, Massilia. <laughs> You've never called know, me that. I just felt. <laughs> I'm having to readjust my, um, we've been recording Your for bote. a while. I yes, know. and I have this one knee that goes out of place sometimes. when I, I go numb. Then I go numb. <laughs> well, because I think you should tell people where we are and how we're doing this. Well, we're in Macy's closet very packed very stuffed. we have a bench with the computer and the phone and the yes. notes and mm-hmm. then we're sitting on the floor we need gaming chairs i think what something. we should do is we're gonna have to find a room at your house that we convert into a recording place and then in the back of my house that screened in back porch mm-hmm. we're going to convert that into a recording place for us i do have that creepy closet but with the things we're talking about I think the creepy Closets. closet is perfect. Yeah, I need to put a rug down in we there. We should call it the Cabernet and Crime Creepy Closet. Okay. It's like alliteration to the max. Yes. I love we that. We should. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's decided. That that was easy. <laughs> yes. And so, then our legs won't be asleep. Oh my gosh, I know. So if the if the um sound is off from the heightening of my face moving <laughs> here and there based on my it's because your bootay has gone numb yes yes i know well we we've already we just recorded part one of edmund kemper Mm -hmm. and now we're just going to soldier through and record part two because we never have these opportunities and um so we have to make the most of them when when we can butt cheeks asleep or not here we go (laughs) hold on to your butt because we're i can't feel it (laughs) But hold on to but it. But I can I can feel my left cheek only. <laughs> you know Here it's there go. though. Um, okay, so when we left y'all last time, Edmund Kemper had just started killing young co-ed students. Uh, by the end of part one, Big Ed, who that was his nickname from the uh, from the cops from the yes. you know, aren't those the five O's? Isn't that what they're called on the yes. <laughs> My on dad, the streets. When we used to travel on vacation, we would have walkie-talkies. It's the 5-0. And my dad would be like, 5-0, 5-0. I think that's what it was. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, people. But Big Ed was responsible for the murders of his paternal grandparents. So he had killed Ed Sr. and Maude. That was mm-hmm. his grandmother and granddaddy. And then he had killed two Fresno State students, Marianne and Anita. And while both sets of murders were completely senseless and brutal, Kemper definitely escalated from simply shooting his grandparents. He did stab his grandmother, but afterward, the viciousness of his crime definitely escalated when he um, killed Marianne and Anita. Um, After he killed them, he took them back to his apartment where he raped abused and dismembered their corpses so that's where we left y'all you're welcome (laughs) and all i can say is this one's worse 
Oh gosh. Yeah, I know. I know. But here here's the deal. Like I feel like we just had to rip this band-aid off because mm-hmm. we're going to talk about some stuff that's yes, it's horrible and depraved and yes, we're going to talk about killers and murders and all these terrible terrible crimes, but we'll lighten it up a little bit. We'll have, you know, episodes and moments where, you know, there's a little more laughter and a little more lightheartedness, but Edmund Kemper to me is one that he is overlooked and I feel like he's not as well known. I really don't think I've ever heard of him. Whenever we get to the end, you're going to be I'm like, gonna know. oh my God, Macy. That's the yes, one. You're going to, you're okay. going to want to come across the bench on the floor. Um, so today we're going to continue down the path of Kemper's depravity. Four months after he killed and disposed of Marianne and Anita, Edmund Kemper went out hunting again. Unable to control himself and seeking the same sick gratification he had experienced when he killed the two pre- the the two young ladies, he picked up fifteen year old um, oh on September the fourteenth, nineteen seventy two. Akio Ku was, um, she was of Korean descent. She was smart. She was responsible. She was a beautiful dance student. She was on this particular day on September the 14th. She missed her bus to go to dance class. Um, so like so many at the time, Akio, um, decided to hitch a ride. She didn't want to miss class because she was responsible and she loved dancing. Now, and I don't know why this one gets to me so much, but this one is just, it's next level awful. Um, She was not only his youngest victim at 15 years old, which I have a daughter that's going to be 15 years old in three months. And the thought of this happening to her is like, yeah. Just something your brain, I don't know why it's worse to 15, in my mind, a 15-year-old versus an 18-year-old. I, I don't know, but it just is for me personally. Um, but not only was she his youngest victim, um, she was just a really good person. Yeah. Kemper, being highly intelligent, like we said in the previous ex- ex- episode, and also just completely consumed with evil, um, he would use her kindness and her naivety against her. So here's what happened. As he did with Anita and Marianne, Kemper picked up Akio on, he picked her up and he just began driving very leisurely. Um, again, he acted like he knew exactly where he was going because he was familiar with all the side roads, back roads, mm-hmm. shortcuts. He pulled the gun on her rather quickly, telling her that he didn't actually want to kill her. He wanted to kill himself. Well, she was no doubt scared to death, but the young dance student, instead of screaming or flipping out, she tried to comply with his demands as he drove them out into the middle of nowhere. She tried to talk him out of killing himself. He handcuffed her, and then he proceeded to get out of the car. And that's when it happened. He locked himself out of the vehicle. He's locked out. He handcuffs her inside the car. He's getting out of the vehicle to go to the trunk to get his murder kit. Remember plastic bags? Yes. All that. Yeah. And he locks himself out of the car. (gasps) 
In my notes, it says, in his haste, he accidentally locked himself out of the freaking car, Ange. At that point, even though she was bound. She opened the door. Akio could have gotten away. She could have driven the car. She could have stayed in the locked car. She could have done any number of things. But instead, a manipulative Kemper, who remember, he was telling this young girl, she was was a 15-year-old girl, that he was suicidal, not homicidal. I don't want to kill you. I want to kill me. Convinced her to unlock the door. No. And allow him back in. Once he was back in the car, Edmund began trying to suffocate her. When she was unconscious, not dead, but unconscious, he removed her from the car, he raped her, and then he finished killing her by strangling her with her own scarf. Oh my gosh. Like he did with Anita and Marianne, Edmund placed Akio in his, the trunk of his car, and he would later claim that he looked down at her lifeless body and, quote, admired his catch like a fisherman. Mm-hmm. She was 15. Wow. I'll post pictures. She doesn't even look 15. She's a baby. She looks younger. Yes. Wow. He then took Akio's body body back to his apartment where, again, his uh, roommate, I'm sure his roommate stayed gone all the time because he freaking hated Edmund, but he dissected her remains. <sighs> her mother reported her missing the same day that she disappeared. Very little of Akio was ever found. Uh. Now, it's important to know that a couple of things were working together at this point to make Edmund Kemper successful off the radar of law enforcement. The first thing was that there was a handful of serial killers tormenting California during the early to mid-1970s. And while they all had different MOs and different victim types, the fact that there were so many serial killers operating at once made it difficult for law enforcement and law enforcement agencies to differentiate between who was doing what and where. So you have to think, you had Charles Manson, you had Uh Herbert Mullen, and... I mean, you had John Lindley uh, Frazier. You had all these these serial killers operating all over the state of California. And so not only was it a super scary place, then you've got all these tree-hugging hippies who are living and loving, and law enforcement are facing this new breed of killers. They don't. We don't even have the word serial killer at this time. Yeah. Oh, like that's, yeah, that's That's not true. even like a known yeah. thing. Um, so you have... All of these things that are working together. And then you have this this guy, this person, who is somehow targeting co-eds. And so this prompted law enforcement to put out bulletins and warnings for young women. Don't hitchhike unless yeah. the car has a campus sticker. Don't oh, take rides from strange cars. Only take cars from other students because surely to God... This could not be happening by a student. Surely to God, no one with a campus sticker. And nobody can get be. a campus sticker mm-hmm. that doesn't. Well, luckily for Edmund, guess who had gotten a job at the University of California in Santa Cruz? Clarnell. Who, if you didn't listen to part one, is the mother from hell. 
Oh. Clarnell, the mother from hell. My word. That should be a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So, Clarnell had gotten a job at a university, and in order for her, even though she hated Edmund, in order for her to make it easier, for whatever reason, on him to get on and off campus to probably run her errands and bring her lunch, she gave him a campus sticker. So, he's riding around in his car, and he's got a camp. He looks completely safe. To all these young, and the yeah. and the law and the police have said it's fine to hitchhike. The police said so. Yes. So there he was, big and awkward, friendly with all the local cops, other serial killers. Even though that's not what they were called at the time, were working the area, and the police were completely confused. Edmund, with his intelligent mind and his legitimate, freaking campus sticker, sticker, allowing him to come and go from campuses and not arouse an ounce of suspicion, was quite literally free to hunt the college and university campuses freely. However, as dandy as all that seems, sometimes between Akio's murder and the first of the next year. So, Akio is 1972. Mm-hmm. So, by January the 7th, 1973, Kemper, who had not enjoyed the way he'd carried, Mar- killed Marianne and Anita. So remember, he stabbed them. He didn't like it. it he was didn't too like messy. that. It was too messy. They, they leaked. leaked. Remember, which mm-hmm. is awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he strangled Akia with her scarf. He bought a 22 gauge, a 22 caliber automatic pistol on January the 7th, 1973. He was not legally able. To own a firearm, given his previous conviction yes. for killing his grandparents. But nonetheless, he was now armed and ready to find his next unsuspecting victim. Cynthia Ann Cindy Skull was 18 years old. She was hitchhiking on that cold January 9th, January the 7th. She was a student at Cabrillo community college and had stopped by a friend's house that evening. Edmund Kemper, what we know is he picked her up after she left her friend's house. He then drove her to a remote location. There he shot and killed Cindy. Since he, at this point, he had moved, had to move back in with his mother. Remember the bouncing back yes. and forth. Mm-hmm. So now he's living back with Clarnell from hell and he drove, so he drove Cindy's body to Clarnell's house and hid the murdered the young lady in his closet. So we went from hiding a dismembered cat in our childhood bedroom closet. Now he has an 18 year old woman killed and hiding it in his bedroom closet at his mom's house. The next morning when Clarnell went to work, Edmund removed Cindy from the closet, had sex with her corpse, (gasps) removed the bullet from her body, and then decapitated and dismembered her body in Clarnell's bathtub. Okay. So, this should, like, tell you where we're headed. The trajectory. It's moved back into mom's house. We're still killing young women. Now we're hiding them in the closet overnight. Still having sex. Still decapitating, dismembering them. But now we're doing it in mom's bathtub. According to most sources, he kept Cindy's head for many days, oh, engaging in sex gosh. with it. With the head? Mm-hmm. Before burying it in his mother's backyard below his mother's bedroom window. When he confessed and told the police where they could retrieve her head, 
Kemper explained that he buried Cindy's head, looking up at his mother's window, because she always really wanted people to look up to her. I may lose my wine. <laughs> Angela, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because this really happened. And this is how someone's mind actually worked. This is how much he hated his mother. He buried a severed head under her bedroom window, pointed upward, because he said his mother wanted people to look up to her. I know. I I I really have no words. Maybe. I I know. I I can com- I completely understand. It, it's a movie in my head. It's a movie. And it didn't I, happen. I, like I, it's. I know. The rest of Cindy's remains, most not all, were found on a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean, while her dissected torso washed up washed ashore nearby. A surfer found her left hand. She was identified via chest x-rays and fingerprints. On February the 5th, 1973, so less than one month. So we are amping it up. Oh, okay. okay. We're we're amping it up. Kemper, driving around with his handy-dandy campus sticker, Mm -hmm. again, Mm -hmm. was on the prowl. When he arrived at the university that night, he picked up Rosalind Thorpe and Alice Lou. Like a Keo's murder... This one bothers me on a really deep level. Kemper killed both girls almost immediately. Like, still on campus. Immediately. Like, he picked them up, got them in his car, and shot them both. Almost immediately. He drove through campus security with both girls dying in the backseat of his car. Like he had done with the others... They died in the ride in, in the vehicle on the way back to his mother's house. Once they were there, he had sexual intercourse with them, removed the bullets from their bodies, decapitated, and then dismembered them. The police had zero leads in the disappearance of Rosalind and Alice. It was as though they had simply vanished. They had been seen on campus and gone. Nothing. And gone. At this point, most college campuses in the area implemented a bus system to try and help the students, especially female co-eds, get to and from class safely. But again, Kemper had a sticker, virtually making him a friendly option to walking or riding the crowded and late buses. In March, a month after they disappeared, some of Alice and Rosalind's remains were discovered by hikers near Highway 1. After the double murder of Alice and Rosalind, the police and media began using terms like co-ed killer and co-ed butcher. And Kemper, still hanging out at the local bars, listening to all the cops talk about the disappearances and the killings, and flying completely off of the radar because no one suspected him at all. He was just a goofy, annoying companion to all the cops. In April... Things between Kemper and his mother went from bad to worse. It is hard to find a source that says definitely whether he was still actually living at his mom's or whether he had moved out temporarily. But either way, what we do know is that at some point in that month, so at some point in April, Edmund decided what he had to do. 
On April 20th, 1973, some sources say it was Good Friday, Clarnell came home from a party or a gathering of some sort, and according to Kemper, she was drunk. When Kemper went to say goodnight to his mother, so apparently lots of sources say he was living there because he went to say goodnight. Mm -hmm. Clarnell started in with her regular verbal abusive rhetoric. Instead of welcoming Edmund into her bedroom and asking if there was something he wanted to discuss, Edmund claims that she looked at him and says in her drunken stupor, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk. Kemper told authorities he told his mom, no, good night, and then retreated to his bedroom and waited until she was asleep. Once Clarnell had passed out, her son, Edmund, snuck into her bedroom and beat her in the head with a claw hammer. Oh, my goodness. Yes. He then slit his mother's throat. And like he had done with the others, he decapita decapitated Clarnell and had sex <gasps> with portions of her corpse. No. Yes. It no. Gets, it gets worse. It gets worse. He placed his mother's decapitated head on a shelf, and he admitted to throwing darts at it and screaming at it for hours. Then, and this is pretty graphic, Ange. Oh, okay. More so? Yeah. He removed his mother's tongue and larynx and put them into the kitchen sink's garbage disposal. However, according to Edmund, not even the garbage disposal could destroy his mother's vocal cords. The disposal spit the remains back out at Kemper. He would later chuckle and say that, quote, you know, that seemed appropriate, as much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over the years. After he was done humiliating his mother's remains, he cleaned up a bit, hid her body parts in a closet, and went to a local bar for a drink. For some reason, and he gives different reasons for it, and like I said in the first episode, you can't really believe anything that he says, but for some reason, when he got home from the bar, Edmund called his mother's best friend, Sarah Sally Hallett. He invited the 50-year-old woman over to the house where he claimed they were going to have dinner and watch a movie. Okay. Now, I personally cannot see how any of this went down. I mean, Kemper and his mother hated each other. Sally was Clarnell's BFF. I'm not sure why Kemper would have thought to invite her over, or more importantly, I'm not sure why she would have accepted his offer. Yeah. Some, and a lot of people opine that Kemper plotted the whole thing to say that Clarnell, that Clarnell and Sally had run off together. But whatever happened that evening, whatever conversation transpired, whatever plan Edmund had in his head, Sally agreed to come over. And she arrived at Clarnell's house, and immediately she was attacked by Kemper. He strangled her. And while I don't see anywhere where he dismembered or sexually abused Sally's corpse, I, can say, I cannot say for sure one way or the other. Some accounts do report that he decapitated her. Like his mother, he hid Sally's body in a closet, cleaned up the house, and before and then got into his car and headed east for Pueblo, Colorado. Okay, so at this point, he's killed his grandparents. He's killed four. 
he's killed Anita, Marianne, Akio, then the other Cindy, two. then Rosalind, um, Alice, and now he's ca- killed his mom and Sally. Edmund thought the dis- that he thought the scene would be discovered. He thought the scene in his mom's house, he thought someone would notice that she hadn't shown up to work or whatever, yada, 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 and that they would find the bodies. He assumed that police would be putting the pieces of the terrible puzzle together and that it would only be a matter of time before there was an all-out manhunt for him. So, fueled by and ramped up on caffeine pills, Kemper drove. Just drove and drove and drove. He drove for almost a thousand miles with three guns and hundreds of rounds of ammunition in his car. But as he drove, he listened to the radio. And nothing. And nothing. There was nothing about Cornell. There was nothing about Sally, their deaths, nothing about him. So on April the 23rd, three days later, once he reached Pueblo, Pueblo, Colorado, this giant man... Just this giant man, the friendly cop wannabe who wowed people with his enormous size and high IQ, pulled over and got on a payphone. This is the 1970s. There were no cell phones. Mm -hmm. He called law enforcement in California and he confessed to killing his mother and her friend Sally. He called the Santa Cruz cops and they literally laughed at him. They were like, Big Ed. He told them who they were, who he was. They knew who he was. They were like, Big Ed, stop. This is not funny. This is not a joke. And they knew what he did before. Well, remember, his record had been expunged. (gasps) So they may not have. They chuckled and told him to call back later. Mm. Make sure he'd really done it and call back later. They thought that he was doing a prank call to them. So, Kemper waited a couple hours. Then he called back. This time, he asked to speak with a law, a police officer he knew. And again, this cop began to blow him off. But then, Edward Kemper explained to the familiar police officer that he had not only killed his mother and her friend, but that he was also responsible for the deaths of all those co-eds. He knew things that the killer that only the killer and those responsible for the deaths would have known. Shocked but convinced that something was going on, the police officer dispatched a unit to to Clarnell's house. And Edmund hung up the phone and sat patiently for the police to arrive and place him under arrest. The district attorney, a man named Peter Chang, and some of the case investigators traveled to Pueblo to arrest Edmund Kemper. And holy shnikey Ange... This is where the Kemper floodgates of information oh, literally gosh. burst open. Can you even imagine? No. It's when, immediate. Me, immediate. Oh, God. The minute like he gets in the car. He's proud of it. When asked later why he turned himself into police, Kemper explained that when he killed his mother, his reasoning for committing all the other murders was gone. He killed all of those other women because he had hated his mother. A police officer named Sergeant Alufi would be the one to go to Clarnell's duplex and discover. You know, there's a lot of people that, like, have mental illness that do things and they can't really say why they do and they have to go to psychiatrists to figure Mm -hmm. it out and everything. It's really freaky that he knew why. That's what I mean. Like, who knows what he would have done. He's so intelligent, he probably could have compartmentalized the part of him 
that was capable of it had he not had a reason to do it. Yeah. And Clarnell was the reason. He hated his mother. His father rejected him, but his mother ridiculed him relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, they say, I mean, they blame that brunette that broke up with Ted Bundy. You know, he, mm-hmm. he had a, a, a type because of her, mm-hmm. which it's not her fault, but definitely there, there are people who become fixated yeah. on something and kill because of that fixation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what definitely what happened in Edmund's case. Pretty bonkers. After he turned himself in, Kemper was questioned by a multitude of individuals. He loved to talk. Like, loved it. In an interview, when he was asked why he decapitated his victims, he he explained, The head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy. You know, the head is where everything is at. The brain, eyes, mouth. That's the person. I remember being told as a kid, You cut the head off the body dies. The body's nothing after the head is cut off. Oh my gosh. Well, that's not quite true. There's a lot in the girl's body without the head. End quote. On May 7th, 1973, back in California and in custody, Edmund Kemper was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder. And with each passing interview, psychiatric evaluation, mere discussion, Kemper became more and more fascinating to investigators and medical experts. When he tried to explain his reasoning for his crime spree, Kemper voiced that he was frustrated and felt inadequate socially and sexually. He said that he was not impotent in a physical way, but that he was emotionally impotent. The interview, isn't that fascinating? Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as sick and twisted as all yeah. of this is, yeah, like that you is would have to be truly like yeah. the best description mm-hmm. of of what. Like he never even gave himself an opportunity to be aroused sexually with a living woman. Yeah, like he he doesn't know, but he knew that he was incapable of emotionally feeling. Yeah, I mean, it it just it's, it's the most mind boggling thing to me um he said that he oh I'm sorry that we've already read that the interviews went on and on Edmund loved to talk and went into gory detail about the murders and what he liked to do to the victims in one interview Kemper when asked what runs through his mind when he sees a woman he admitted that quote when I see a pretty girl walking down the street I think two things One part of me wants to take her out, talk to her, be real nice and sweet, and treat her right. The other part of me wonders what her head would look like on a stick. (laughs) What? I mean, I don't know what you... Like, there's so much in between those two things. Yeah. Like, there's a lot between that those two extremes i would say yeah i mean you know taking her out and treating her real nice and i mean but he and he experienced both in equal measure but he just acted on the other like he thought about oh she's pretty 
oh, I'd, I'd like to take her out. And be nice to her. And be nice and treat her kindly. That's what I should do. I would like to do that. But I also would like to know what her dead head looked like stuck on a stick. I, I mean, I don't know where you what you do with that. I don't know that we're going to have a worse episode than Oh, yeah, this. there are. Trust me. Oh, I'm working on the worst episode. Not worse. They're all bad in their own ways. But, yeah, this one's definitely, this one's definitely horrific. One of the many psychiatrists who interviewed and examined Edmund was a man named Dr. Joel Fort. Fort went back to Kemper's original crime, so the double murder of his grandparents when he was 15. Mm -hmm. And he looked at the diagnoses from that time. According to some sources, Fort actually went so far as to give Big Ed truth serum in an attempt to extract details the killer may have forgotten or suppressed. It was during these truth serum sessions that the really gruesome pathology of Edmund Kemper was revealed. Kemper is in also is also in a subgroup of the serial killer population. He openly from the beginning admitted that he was a necrophiliac. Okay, so we talked about this a little bit in episode 1. And so necrophilia is when the killer enjoys having sex with corpses. Very few killers fall into this category. Mm-hmm. I mean, most serial killers if there's a sexual aspect to their crime, Normally, that comes prior mm-hmm. to, to to the killing. Yeah, you know, um, but Ted Bundy, he's probably the most famous necrophiliac. Mm-hmm. You know, he would like go back and put makeup on their heads and oh, gosh. like. I mean, he was he enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. It was such a thing about control with Ted Bundy, and it was the same with Edmund to a certain degree. Um, and when we're talking about having sexual attraction to an intercourse with a corpse, I'm not talking about like right after the victim took their last breath. It was necrophiliacs will return to a corpse over and over again and mutilate and assault the remains until they reach a state of extreme decomposition to where like, it's not even possible to Mm -hmm. abuse it any longer. Even among serial killers, killers who commit what researchers call sexual homicide, which means there's a sexual component to the crime, less than 1% are necrophiliacs. So this is very, very, very rare. The other subgroup that Kemper falls into is cannibalism. And yes, what? This, cannibalism. He did? Mm-hmm. Dr. Fort testified that Kemper confessed to eating portions of the victim. <gasps> now... Kemper, he tells this under truth serum, which I don't know how much shock to put into that. I don't know enough about it to like speak intelligently, but I don't put anything past Edmund. I think he was the what type did of he person. Say he, did? he said he ate portions of their legs, that he put them in casseroles. <gasps> oh my gosh. I know. Their legs? Their legs. I don't know. Fleshy. I, I don't know. But that he, he admitted to it under this truth serum with Dr. Fort. Now he recanted that later. He recanted that. But so who knows? Essentially, that's what I write in my notes. But suffice it to say that Edmund Kemper is not only a serial killer, but he is one of the most depraved and the disgusting ones that we that we're probably going to talk about. On November 1973, Edmund Kemper III was convicted on all counts of murder. 
After hearing the verdict, Kemper requested that he be sentenced to death by torture. And while I am sure, yeah, yes, for torture. Mm -hmm. Which again, think back to his childhood. The games, gas chamber, electric chair. I know, so much foreshadowing Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And while I'm sure the families of the victims would have loved that, and the judge, a man named Harry Brower, probably would have liked to impose that sentence, California had recently put a moratorium on the death penalty. So instead of death by torture or death by any means, Kemper was sentenced to life for each murder. According to all sources, Kemper has been a flipping model prisoner. So much so that, guess what? He actually helps the prison psychiatrist administer tests to other inmates. Oh, of course he does. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Edmund has been up for but denied parole multiple times. Most recently, he was denied parole in 2017. He will be eligible for another look this year, Stop 2024. It. It is very unlikely that he will ever be released. And I believe, based on everything I've read, that he has actually no desire to be freed. He has alluded to the fact that society would not be willing or ready to accept him and that there was a high likelihood of him murdering again if he was to ever be freed. He openly and readily admits that he would oh. kill again. Okay. Yes. It's interesting to me that when it comes to Kemper, his high intelligence makes him more self-aware than most people, Mm -hmm. which is what you were saying earlier. Like the fact that he knows that he committed these crimes. And why he did it. Because of his mother. Yeah. And as sick and perverse as his crimes were, he seems like he's able to kind of look at himself introspectively and that his psychology and his behavior and his crimes, that he's sort of able to like self-examine mm-hmm. and explain all of this. Um, this insight doesn't make him better than other killers. I'm definitely not defending him or saying that, but it definitely makes him different and it makes him different in a good way. So instead of ending this on a totally negative note, which I kind of feel like this has been mm-hmm, a, little, yes. a, little, a little heavy, <laughs> um, I wanted to give you and the listeners the silver lining of this story. Please. Because Edmund Kemper is so highly intelligent and has been so forthcoming with investigators and psychiatrists, we as a society and law enforcement have a so much better of an understanding of the pathology of serial killers. Prior to the 1970s, the term mass killers had been used, but the 70s thrust these monsters into our lives and society and the magnitude of their murders made law enforcement re-examine what they thought we knew and understood about people who commit multiple murders. Kemper, as sick and as horrible as he is and as horrible as his crimes were, he's been very instrumental in helping investigators and law enforcement agencies create profiles and even predict serial killer behavior. His candor, while hard to listen to and very mind-boggling for us normal folk, has been very, very beneficial. For his part, Kemper is one of the murderers that Thomas Harris based his character of Buffalo Bill on in the books in the book Silence of the Lambs. <gasps> He has been the subject of numerous books. He is probably most well-known these days due to Cameron Britton's amazing portrayal of him in Netflix, Mindhunter, which is where I figured you would know him. I haven't seen it. It's unbelievable. 
unbelievable. It, his resemblance is uncanny. He has his, he has the cadence of his voice down. It, it's startling. Like you will have nightmares watching that more than you oh, will hear gosh. me watching this or listening to this. But here's the real kicker, Ange. Edmund Kemper, the giant man who brutally murdered 10 people, including his own mother and paternal grandparents, who decapitated and dismembered almost all of his victims, well, he now spends his time narrating audiobooks. I'm not joking. Stop it. I'm not joking. Hold on. Oh, He narrated books like... Oh, I don't know. Don't tell me one that I've listened to. Star Wars. <gasps> the Rosary Murders. Flowers in the allowed. Attic. If Tomorrow Comes. Read them all so people know. And Petals in the, on the Wind. I mean, can you imagine you're driving down the road? Like you're on a road trip with the fan family. Enjoying. And you decide you're like, hey, we're going to pass some time. We're going to listen to this How audiobook. How is this allowed? He should only be allowed to clean toilets. And the soothing voice that is reading the story. Of a serial killer. With well-placed emphasis and emotion of these stories. Audible is getting canceled. Belongs to the necrophiliac, cannibalistic serial killer, Edmund Kemper. Currently, Edmund Kemper is 72 years old. And he is living out his life at California Mental facility medical I'm sorry medical facility in Vacaville California and that my friend is the story of Edmund Emil Kemper the third the co-ed killer wow Macy you're welcome <laughs> well get an extra blanket for me <laughs> Listen, Angela, I know I'm telling you, but I, I don't know. I just feel like that as sick and grotesque and horrific as he was, I think he was created by his environment. I tend to think he was m more created than born. I, I do. I mm -hmm. think that there are definitely people on the opposite end of that. Yeah. But I 100% think that Edmund Kemper was the product probably of more nature or nurture I'm sorry more nurture versus or do I think he had it in him yes do I think it could have been cultivated in a different way yes yeah for sure so thoughts comments well first of all we've discovered that I'm a passive aggressive <laughs> sarcastic <laughs> but not in a personality disorder kind of way oh in a in a relational kind of way. In a relational um a passive aggressive person sounds bad. No, but I mean also uh, but there are lots of No, like I'm, I when I think of you're so passive aggressive. That's a song. Too. Yeah, but you know who says it like that? People who can't deal with people who are passive aggressive. If you know how to, you know, deal with a passive aggressive person if you know how to take a passive aggressive person and kind of I mean it's just like dealing with any type of personality if you can deal with a direct person you're not offended by that person mm -hmm. if you can you know deal with and cope with and live with a passive aggressive person then it just becomes part of your personality and not this annoying nuance of you know uniqueness <laughs> I think you're perfect 
That's what all of that meant was, I think you're perfect. <laughs> you as well with your directness. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. But um, thank you for listening to my yes. insanity about Edmund, Big Ed. And next time we're probably going to do something a little lighter. Okay. Like this was, this is probably going to be episode one and two. This is probably going to be like the grand kickoff of the crime chaos that Mm -hmm. we're going to, you know, bring about. Mm -hmm. And then we're probably going to do something a little more like not so gory, not uplifting. I wouldn't say anything that we're going to do is uplifting, but not so down pulling, (laughs) whatever the opposite of uplifting is. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, I think that, I think that any, I think Edmund Kemper, he doesn't deserve any accolades, but I think he definitely deserves a place in the serial killer uh, yeah, because I didn't realm know. Realm of hell. Yes. And I think that he's definitely. He's um, a creepy one. He's a creepy one. And you have to Google him and you have to watch at least 15 minutes of Mindhunter and see how amazing the the, the portrayal of, of him is. It is incredible. Incredible. Especially after I've like watched interviews and YouTube things and seen his prison interviews. When you watch Netflix's Mindhunter, it's like holy flipping guacamole so much much like that guy has just sat and studied his mannerisms the way he does his lips it's crazy but anyways well i guess i'm gonna go home or sit at the foot of your bed and we're gonna watch it together yeah you're gonna sit at the foot of my bed and then tomorrow you're gonna love your sons Yes. And we're going to create yes, amazing men. That I am going to do. I'm not, going to love them. Yes. We're going to love our sons in a I'm way going that. going to make them all waffles and bacon and <laughs> fried eggs. And tell, First them, thing. and tell them that women are going to love them and adore them and that they need to give women the opportunity to do so. Yes. But, you know. Word to the wise. Word to the wise. And we're going to wear our wine shoes the next time we record. Always. Always. And so until next time, Angelica, I love you. Until Cheers. next time, smooches. Love Smoochy you. kisses. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bottle of Bedlam. Send a recommendation for a case at bottleofbedlam at gmail.com. Don't forget to drop your favorite wine in the comments of our episode by email or on social media. We're always looking for a wine to pair with our episodes.